Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index EPL Weekly Podcast. Uh, yesterday we went down to Watford and today we're going to West Ham. We have a new voice in the form of Dean Almy uh, joining us on World Football Index. Uh, first of all, Dean, you are very, very, very welcome. How are you today? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad, thanks. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to be on this podcast and hopefully I can inform your listeners on the wonderful world of West Ham United. I have a lot of questions for you because we've talked quite a bit on World Football Index about West Ham, maybe in in a negative sense. And it's actually great to have you on um, to, to get a perspective, you know, somebody who, who actually goes to the games and, and has a sense of feeling of, what, of what's going on there at the minute. But maybe as, as a bit of an introduction, uh, you know, it's the first time you've been on. Maybe give us a bit of an idea what you do there and, you know, uh, you, what you do in football and what you're trying to work at. Well, as you alluded to, I'm a West Ham season ticket holder, so I go to the games every week. But with my Algerian background, I have an interest in African football as well. And I'm currently studying sports journalism at university. I've been on BBC Radio a couple of times on the World Service. Um, I've been on Bean Sports. So I'm just trying to get out there just a bit, get some experience. And once again, it's great to be talking on this podcast with you today, Dave, because we've got lots to get through about my club and what's going on at the moment. Yeah, and what's more, I think we have a lot more to get through in the future as well, <laughs> based on that conversation, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. So our listeners could be, a, could be in for a couple of sort of little extra podcasts that's uh, way off in tangents and way out there niche land but uh, that's what we like to do here in World Football Index. Well listen I'm going to start out basically um, you know it's a a topic uh, Dean that that, as I say we have covered here and I think it's a good place to start you know over the last course the last couple of seasons we saw you leave up in park and and your fans seem quite frustrated and, and angry at that time you know the Manchester United bus was attacked and so on and uh you know, then we, we saw sort of a continuation of that whenever you moved into the Olympic Stadium. And, you know, I think there was a stage last season where, where there was some trouble there and there was a bit of damage done to the stadium and everything. What at the moment is, is the feeling amongst West Ham fans? What, what, what is driving that anger, Dean, uh, that we've seen in the last couple of seasons? Well, I think the stadium move was a move that pretty much none of the fans wanted to happen. For many people, the bowling ground was their second home. The place they watched players such as Bobby Moore lift the World Cup with England, obviously being a West Ham captain at the time, and all that history ripped away. Because now, if you see the stadium now, it's completely gone. They've started building flats on it. And to have over 100 years of history go just like that, many people saw as disrespectful. But the problem with the fans was, is that if they wanted to have a bigger stadium, they wanted to see Upton Park expanded. But instead... They believe the owners moved ground just to increase their profits so that they would eventually sell the club and leave us in a mess. And the Olympic Stadium is not a stadium built for football. It's not like when Man City moved into their ground now, which was built for football. Obviously, after the Commonwealth Games, it was ready, football made. It's not like the Emirates, it was built for football. This is an athletics ground. We're watching football inside. And it's very, very frustrating, particularly sitting so far from the, um, the pitch. So you can't generate an atmosphere. And the way the fans get treated inside is so frustrated because we don't feel like fans anymore. We feel like customers. We're, we're buying popcorn at half time as if we're going to the theatre. And it's just such a such a big shame because football is meant to be a really good day out with your friends. And now it feels like it's something you're dreading to go to that weekend. Oh, I have to go to this stadium again. I have to get searched when I go into the turnstiles and I can't even enjoy myself watching football. And it's just 
just a toxic atmosphere almost, which is combined with the fact that the results of the pitch were so poor. We were getting turned over 3-0 by Southampton, you know, 5-0 by City. Arsenal came. This is probably the, the worst season under Wenger. Arsenal came and scored five against us. It was just so, so annoying. And all these factors combined really wound up so many supporters at this club. Um, you know, you, you mentioned stewarding in there, and I know uh, we, we had a bit of a discussion about that pre-pod. And, you know, I think it's quite interesting to bring into, into the equation that these aren't your average stewards. This is like a, a private security company uh, supplying these stewards. So, uh, you know, I, I look at, at the grounds that I've gone to. Generally, the stewards would be, be fans of the club as well. You have sort of an affinity with each other. There's, there's that common ground, so to speak. You're being searched by guys who have no love for West Ham. They're, they're there to earn, earn their corn, nothing more, nothing less, or no passion in them, uh, anything like that. And do you think that that does play a part in it? I think it definitely, most definitely, yeah, it has, it plays a part. You know, these are stewards that are not employed by the football club. Well, of course, the stadium's not even owned by the football club, it's rented. And these stewards come from the local authority or the local company that owns the ground. And they've got no experience in football. They may have covered concerts or other sports. Football is completely different. Football stewarding is not easy if you're going to come into West Ham straight like that as your first job. You need to be experienced. You need to know how to deal with certain types of supporters. And you get in a way, if they support the club, it does help. You know, I remember at Upton Park, you saw stewards jumping up and down when the team scored. You know what I mean? You have that affinity with each other. It's a common ground. It's a, it's a bond. It's like... <laughs> It's like a barrier to trouble, you know. At least you're you're on the same page as as fans. Exactly, and when you see stewards now, it's just like these people don't know anything about football. But the main thing is they don't know how to steward. It's just so so annoying. You come into the ground, and you know you'd ask them where is this block or where is this place, and they wouldn't even know. And it just it just creates a confusing sort of tension at the ground, and particularly. When you've got the home fans and the away fans so close together and you've got the stewards in between just sort of watching on, not doing their job properly. And it does create, as we've seen, uh, unfortunately, in the news across the course of our season, ugly incidents inside the ground. And some of the security services have to take responsibility for that. No, without a doubt. And, you know, from like I've never been in the new stadium, uh, but from a TV viewing perspective, it, Dean, they're just it's just odd. It, it just looks like a very... Very odd stadium to play football in, and you know you've 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 alluded to it there that the atmosphere is difficult to generate. It's a weird looking stadium. Do you ever think that West Ham fans will will feel at home really in it? I, I can't see that happening anytime soon. I think maybe if West Ham won a trophy, that might settle the nerves and be like, okay, right, we've moved ground, we've got a piece of silverware, we can build in this. But at the moment, it feels like we're playing nineteen cup finals when we're at home. It's like watching an exhibition match on the television when you're watching West Ham at home. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not a ground for football, for creating these amazing memories. You you, you see the stadium and you think, right, well, this is nice. When are we going to be playing at our home ground? Because at the moment, the players don't feel like it's their ground. The fans don't feel like it's their ground. And then when you get away, away teams come in, it's almost like playing at a neutral venue. And that in itself is just so odd to watch because... You think of the uh, iconic Premier League stadiums, Old Trafford, Anfield, Goodison Park, and then you see this Olympic stadium, which is which has been used for athletics. It's it's just not right. But I guess it's something we have to get used to. It's not going to change, and hopefully, the sooner we get used to it, the better. 
No, I'd I'd been in Upton Park. It was the early nineties. I watched you play Sheffield Wednesday, uh, if if my memory is correct. And and the everlasting memory I have from that, as you say, so close to the pitch, and you know, I'm forever blowing bubbles. It's a big atmosphere, a big you know, a real proper football stadium with a real proper set of fans. And my my sort of viewing of of, of last season is it that's all gone, Dean. It it seems like well, to coin a phrase, a library. You could definitely feel the twelfth man at, at Upton Park. The fans were right on you. West Ham gained so many points at home over the years, just from having that the fans behind them. And particularly we saw in the final season at the bowling ground with a with a squad that had some good players, but you know, this if you saw the other squads in the Premier League, our squad shouldn't have been up there. But we played so well, thanks to supporters. You know, we we played Arsenal. We were 2-0 down at home at the bowling ground. Suddenly, 10 minutes later, Andy Carroll hat-trick. You wouldn't, you're never, ever going to get that at the Olympic Stadium. If we go 2-0 down, as you've seen across the course of last season, it's only going to be 3-4-5-0. And it's such a shame because it was such an intimidating ground at Upton Park. Clubs didn't want to go there. You know, we've seen, I think, Man United have to go to Upton Park to win the league. And then West Ham stopped them winning the league. We've seen points won in the last minute at Upton Park with the fans getting right on the team. But it's just the Olympic Stadium, you know, at times you you don't really feel who's the home team. Mm, I think that's uh, that's just very, very sad, you know, to hear. And, and especially because like, Upton Park was so iconic. But you sort of also alluded to me pre-pod that there's a bit of discourse there with with the ownership. Maybe maybe the, those bridges are being rebuilt again. But certainly for last season, I think the relationship between maybe the board and the fans wasn't maybe what it should have been, Dean. It definitely wasn't. And if you think about it, we were in the perfect position to go up a level. I'm not saying we were going to break into the top four, but we'd finished seventh. We're moving to a new stadium. We had marquee players like Payet, and it was the best summer to have the opportunity to build on a squad. Of course, a squad that was going to be playing in Europe for the next season because we'd qualified in that seventh spot for Europe. But the transfer window was just done so stingy by the board. Golden Sullivan, we, we signed 13 players and the majority were either free transfers or loan deals. And if you look at some of the signings we made, we had Ashley Fletcher, free transfer, didn't score in the Premier League. Caleri, uh, on loan from Argentina, one Premier League goal. Zaza on loan, didn't score a single goal and we sent him back halfway through the season. Gooley on a free, Nordvite on a free. And it's so frustrating because we know the board have money. We know how much money they're making. They're now having twice as many fans inside their ground as they were a couple of years ago. And yet they're so stingy with their spending. And it, when you see the results on the pitch, it's frustrating because you just want the board to spend some money. But as we've seen over the past few days or so, we do seem to be making some movements. But it's a year too late, unfortunately. You mentioned Jonathan Caleri there. Is he still with you, Dean? No, he's been sent back to Argentina, unfortunately. Well, some would say unfortunately, so I'd say fortunately. I think Barcelona wanted him at some point. He was he had so much promise. I, I remember the player sort of on Bad Boca Juniors in Sao Paulo down here in South America. And he was he was scoring for fun and could never understand why he wasn't getting the game time because he, he was quite lethal. <laughs> but uh, obviously, you know, it takes a bit of time for these guys to settle and whatnot. Maybe it just wasn't wasn't to his liking. But we we also spoke there about uh, you know the relationship with the board now seems to be getting better, given the fact that this transfer window, you have uh, you know they've basically done you an awful lot more right than wrong. Absolutely, we we started the window off 
very well, bringing in a right back in Pablo Zabaleta. This is a right back who's he's won the Premier League twice. So he knows all about fighting at the very top. And he's also a leader. We lacked leadership in the squad last season. Uh, of course, we've got the captain, Mark Ganova. But apart from that, who do you look to for a leader? Zabaleta's a leader. And of course, we've got Joe Hart now, who's also a leader. We've seen him in the England team, how passionate he can get, maybe even too passionate. But that's a great signing, Joe Hart on loan. England international in goal. You know, with all due respect, much better than the goalkeepers we already had. And of course, there's lots more signings to come. Having said that, we were concerned because Zabaleta on a free transfer, Joe Hart on a loan. Are we going to have another transfer window of trying to be stingy again? But no, we've got Arnautovic on the way from Stoke, who's going to be our record signing at 24 million. Make of that what you will. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to get the Javier Hernandez deal over the line, which would be absolutely fantastic because Hernandez would be just what we need. We've been crying out for a centre forward and... As I'm sure you know, this guy knows where the back of the net is. He's a player that I saw playing four times for Mexico uh, in my time down South America here, and, and, and a player that I admire very, very much, and a player that I think it will be somewhat of a coup for West Ham. I think you, you know that that type of player and getting the hold of him, and, and certainly the price that you're you're, you're talking about there, that uh, West Ham potentially can pick him up. Given the marketplace as it is today, is an absolute steal, Dean. You must be like you must be sort of over the moon at the prospect. It's an absolute bargain, but the problem is we've been here before. We've last summer we started bidding for Lacazette, we had the Carlos Backer situation when, when we never got over the line. But this time there does seem to be some legs to this deal. And I don't want to celebrate just yet, because so many times we've been on the verge of a signing and not actually done it. But Hernandez with the thirteen million pounds release clause you have to wonder why other clubs haven't gone for him. I mean, for us, the stumbling block was his wages. They're talking about 130000 140000 a week for Hernandez, which it looks like we're going to be paying. But if you think about it at the moment, Andy Carroll's the highest paid player at 70000 This is a whole new level of calibre of football that we're bringing to this club. And I'm very confident he'll be in double figures if we can get the signing over the line. No, absolutely. And even if you take it in experience terms, you know, like he, he's... he's World Cup regular, you know, he is the mainstay of uh, the Mexican national team. He also, you know, he he's had a pretty good season uh, in the Bundesliga uh, and, and seems to be very, very highly thought of over there as well. Like it, it's an absolute coup for you, and and it could be a game changer. I think, and you know, when you're, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you later on about your season and where you see it going. Like if that transfer goes through, it obviously sort of rewrites where, where your expectations would be, maybe. Well, I think it certainly sorts the problem we had last season, which was the lack of goals. I believe we only won a couple of games at home that weren't one nils. So we had the big goal scoring problem and obviously he's going to hopefully fill that. We might even sign another striker, who knows. But this is it's a very positive step forward because Hernandez is a statement of what we want to do this season. We could have quite easily gone for a safe choice gone for someone from the championship, which West Ham do sometimes when they brought in, say, Cresswell, Antonio. But this is a, an international who we saw under Sir Alex Ferguson what he can do for a much better club than us. So for us to have a player like Hernandez, it's going to get us excited going to that stadium again. Do you know what I mean? Seeing Joe Hart, seeing Hernandez, seeing these top-class players play for our club in this... It's a, it's a great stadium in terms of look at and what it looks like on the camera but to have the great players in it it's really going to get us excited again to go and see 
West Ham play. Yeah, and, and maybe, as, as you've rightly said before as well, you know, a, a uniting factor as well amongst the fans that are, you know, and I, t- I truly do understand, you know, losing all that history and everything. It, it would fracture a fan base to a degree. Without without a doubt, I can, I can understand all of that. You, you talked a little bit about Joe Hart there as well, and th- there's another sort of clause within that that he plays a certain amount of games that you can actually sign him. Maybe you want to talk us through that as well, because that, that sounds like a decent bit of business. Yeah, I believe there's a there's a sort of clause. Man City like putting in these clauses where if he plays a certain number of games, I believe there's going to be an obligation to buy him. And to have Joe Hart at this club will be fantastic because it's England's number one goalkeeper. The World Cup coming up, we know he's going to be wanting to, to play his best football. It's great to see Hart just back in the Premier League as well from an England point of view for the uh, England manager to come and watch him and obviously hopefully see some other English West Ham players. But Joe Hart's a real lift. In that dressing room, he's not going to sit about. He's going to be ordering people. He's going to be ordering that back four. So many times last season, that back four was disjointed. We kept changing the keeper every five or six games. There was no stability. But now, if you think about it, you've got Hart and hopefully Winston Reid. And you've got Ogbonna that can play in front of him. You've got Jose Font, who's won the Euros. You've got James Collins, who's been around the block for ages. And all of a sudden, just by making that Joe Hart signing, our whole defence has got a massive lift. And hopefully he can bring that title-winning experience to West Ham and get us up the league table again. So obviously around Slavon Bilic, um, you know, still still there in charge and you know, these new players coming in. You know, you, you had a wonderful season, season before last. You, you were, you know, you were floating on air. You did really, really well. You were a wonderful side to watch. And, you know, it all fell apart last season. Now, Bilic is a manager that I have a great deal of time for. He seems to have a real good grasp of the game. And and he was getting a bit of a pelter there, I think, at stages last season. Um, again, I think things are, are improving for him as well with the fan base, would it be correct in saying? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's obviously had two years now, one great year, one not so great year. So for many fans, this is the year right. Well, if he's having another good season now, Let's keep him. And if we have another poor season, if we're fighting relegation, it might be time to move on. Particularly, uh, this is Bilic's last year left on his current contract. His contract will expire um, when the World Cup comes around. So there'll be a decision to make there. But Bilic has had a lot of sympathy from some supporters because moving stadium is not an easy task for any manager to have to experience. And for him to be given the funds he was given last season to spend and to move ground, and to think we finished 11th, he actually deserves quite a bit of credit for the way he's turned around the season. Granted, the Dimitri Payet situation, again, out of his hands, when you have your best player at any club refusing to play, what are you supposed to do? Not only are you losing that quality, but you're disjointing the squad. Other players are thinking, hmm, if he's going, maybe I should move on too. Maybe this isn't the club where I can develop. But it seems we managed to get over that. Uh, we got Andy Carroll in a little bit of form, who Bilic absolutely loves. Despite Carroll's injury problems, Bilic does get the best out of him, I believe, out of any manager we've had. Because Carroll's been here a while now, and Bilic is so good at getting the best out of players. Manuel Lanzini's another one. Antonio's another one. The confidence he's given these guys. You know, these, Antonio is in the Championship at Nottingham Forest, and look what he's doing now for us. He's in the England squad. And I do believe that Bilic deserves, again, some credit for that. But the fans are all behind him now. And with the signings, let's see what we can do with the players he's got. Because let's be honest, if we can get all these deals done, signed on the dotted line, he's got a pretty good team there and we want to see how far he can take it. You know, you've, you've obviously mentioned Sabaleta. You know, Hernandez is, is widely touted to be going in that direction. Joe Hart's there. 
do you see anything more coming in, uh, Dean? Or what more do you think that they would need uh, to, to sustain themselves over the season? Well, I think the goalkeeper situations have sorted. But up front, despite the arrival of Hernandez, I would like to see another centre-forward arrive. Maybe someone obviously not as prolific, but we need to have a good squad. And again, if Hernandez gets injured, you've got Carroll's injury problems, you've got Calarian Zaza, who now left the club. We're really, really short up there. You've got Diafra Sakako, who's probably going to be sold as well, because he's, he's another player who's, who's refusing to play. You've got Anna Valencia from Ecuador, who's just been sold, who's just come back to Mexico. So even if Hernandez comes in, we are really short up top. And that maybe I'd like to see a... Um, a sort of Michi Batshuayi from Chelsea come in on loan, or at times they were talking about Olivier Giroud coming, but that seems to be a problem now. But I think another centre forward would be really good for us, just to have that option in case Hernandez or Carroll got injured. Because if they get injured, we know Carroll's going to be injured. I mean, that's one of the certainties in life. Par for the course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Death taxes and Andy Carroll getting injured is pretty much what you can rely on in this life. And if he's out injured, if Hernandez, you know, Hernandez isn't going to be able to play 90 minutes every game. It's, 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 it's fatigue-wise, it's not good for him. We need another centre-forward who can come in and do a job. And I think with Morata going to Chelsea, maybe there's an option there to bring in Batshuayi on loan. No, that, that, would be, that would certainly be an interesting one if they would do the business. Obviously, you know, you're talking along the lines of, you know, the, the, these deals will probably eat up the majority of the budget, would, be, would I be correct in saying that you'd be looking at a loan deal for anything else? Or is that the situation there? Potentially, I think you're right. I mean, Arnautovic is going to break the current transfer record. Um, 24 million is the highest we've ever spent on a footballer. But with the departures we've also had, which is something we've got to consider here, if we lose some players in the squad that we can sell for a decent amount, that may free up more funds to spend. Obviously, as I just alluded to, Enna Valencia was sold to, to Mexico for around seven or eight million. We um, we got rid of Harvard Nordweit, who went back to Germany to Hoffenheim. We've got these players who are on loan that have freed up some of the wage budget because they've now left the club. And maybe we might sell a keeper because Hart's come in. We might sell a winger if Arnautovic has come in. I was just reading this morning, actually, that um, Cater of Lazio has had a bid from us. And now if he came in and that was somehow completed, which would be incredible, by the way, I think West Ham would definitely look to sell a couple of wingers at the, at the club. Snodgrass might go, Faguli might go, which is a real shame, obviously. But I, I do think there's going to be a lot more business done by coming in of the club and out of the club before the 1st of September. No. Obviously, we're sitting here 20th of July. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot, really, on your, on your season's expectations. And, you know, obviously what you've brought in, you, you, you're the first season, you've, you're over the hump on the road, basically the new stadium. And we keep going back to that because you know, it's a point you made and, and it is very, very valid. You know, you're going in there buoyant um, with these signings. You know, you're, you're better off for it. And, and what do you, do you see an improvement and how much, you know, I spoke, I spoke to Sean Walker yesterday about Watford. And, you know, we were talking about the top seven being so, on paper, as it stands today, looking so locked in that top seven uh, and breaking into that, obviously, for for West Ham where you finished. You know, you're always sort of in around that top ten. Your next progression is really breaking into that uh, top seven. Do you see that as a realistic expectation, given given these signings, that you can actually make a charge this season? Well, I think last season we saw how dominant the top seven could be. I think the gap between seventh... An eighth was was 
was huge in comparison to the rest of the league table. We're not going to break in the top seven. If you look at what Everton have done, of course, I'd like to see Spurs collapse. Well, that that still remains to be seen. It's I, you know, it's all it's all on paper. It's and, and the same basically for yourself. It's, it's there's a lottery involved in all of this, Dean. You know, you're relying on on players hitting the ground running, gelling, so on, and you know that that can cause its own teething problems early season. Very true, very true. But of course, being a West Ham fan, I, I do want to see Tottenham collapse at Wembley. I, I do think they're going to struggle there. Maybe. That's a current theme running through all, all the people that I speak to. It's, it's almost an expectation, given the fact of what we saw in the Champions League last season with, with Tottenham, that they are going to have a rough ride playing all their games there this season. Exactly. And you saw, obviously, us moving to a big corporate stadium, what it does to a, what it does to a fairly successful football team. In terms of expectation, top 10 would be fantastic, I think. Top 10 would be really, really good, considering... The clubs around us, what they're doing. If you look at what Bournemouth are doing, you know, signing Begovic, signing um, Ake from Chelsea. If you look at the clubs and the business they're doing, if we can get top 10, that'd be fantastic. But for me personally, I want to be in a situation where we could, well, potentially, we're not going to be fighting for Europe and we're not going to be going down. So anywhere in that mid-table, I'd take. I'd like to see us go on a really good cup run. I don't want to be one of those clubs that plays their second team in the FA Cup or even the League Cup. I want to see us try and win a trophy. I want to see us go to Wembley, have a great day out there and win something. Because you can ask this to, to many of the fans, the clubs you have on here that finish in mid-table, would you rather finish ninth and not win the Cup or finish 15th and take a Cup final? Because I know I'd rather take 15th from the Cup final and see my club potentially lift the trophy. Yeah, and I would dare say you would take seventeenth and lift a trophy. Uh, a trophy is a trophy. And Absolutely. Given the fact of what you what you've talked about about this fracture in the in the fan base and failing to really adapt to the new world of the Olympic Stadium and whatnot, a trophy would would be a very galvanising thing for you at this time. It would be fantastic, and it would create a memory at this ground. You know, that quarter final where we edged it, that last sixteen tie against Manchester United where we scored. Right at the end, we want to have something we can talk about for years to come. And then we can go, right, maybe this year we can do that again. The problem we have, though, being an athletic stadium, is because there's an athletics tournament taking place in London this summer. We actually, I believe, we have our first four games of the Premier League are going to be away from home because the stadium's being used for athletics. And that, if we get off to a bad start... We're already going to be way off the pack. I mean, opening day, Man United away, then Southampton away. If That's quite considerably. If we lose those two and then we've got another two away games to come, we could be right down there right at the beginning. So we've got to make sure we get off to a good start, despite the problems we're going to have in terms of where we're playing. No, no, Dean. There, there's another way to look at it. We had exactly the same thing at Liverpool with the, 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 you know, the, the new stand being built and we had quite a number of away fixtures. But there's a double side to it. You know, you end up with, uh, you know, more home fixtures towards the end of the season. Certainly, you, you know, it's a benefit if, if you were in trouble, say, you know, you're, you're more games at home and so on. Uh, and also, if you do manage to get, start picking a few points up in those away games, uh, you know, those con- condensed away games, it could serve you very, very well in, in towards the end of the season. So, yeah, the, the games we have are not exactly home games because... We, we can't really call it home yet, as we, as we spoke about earlier. These are games that are not bankers on paper. You know, you can't say West Ham home to Brighton will lose your respect three points. It doesn't work like that with a stadium. We've seen so many teams rock up and cause us, tr- well, I think any team 
that can rock up on their days can cause us problems. We, we're not used to playing on, um, on a big pitch. Upton Park was a small pitch. This stadium is huge. And I don't really know at this stage where the points are going to come from in terms of that start to the season. Because if we are in a bit of a dogfight, which I hope we're not with the silence we're making, and then we're having the succession of home games towards the March-April time, and we go 1-0 down in the first game, the fans are going to be right on the team and it could get ugly once again. And that's what we don't want to see. We want to have a solid start. We want to get to that Christmas period safe, well clear the drop zone. And then come the new year, we want to be looking up the table instead of down the table. No, that's cool. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot because I'm doing this with everybody. Oh, God. <laughs> where, where do you, you know, obviously we're going to have a bit of crack with this as, as the season goes on. Uh, where do you think realistically that you will end up this season? What position in the Premier League? I think... We can do eighth. I think we can be that team that tops the pack outside the top seven. I really do. Well, there you go. We, it remains to be seen, and that and that's and that's the beauty and fun about football. I certainly wish you all the best and hope that uh, you know you get these signings and, and the work out for you. But in closing, before we go, uh, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to sort of put out where we can find you on Twitter, um, what you're working on, any websites, any work that you've done you want to plug. Please feel free. Well, thank you for your kind words. I, I hope we can finish eighth. It'll be a fantastic season for us. Um, in terms of myself, you can follow me. I'm sure my handle will be in the description of this. WHUFC AWMI. At the moment, it's the summer, though. I'm just trying to chill this summer because we know how stressful the new season's going to be. And I, I, at the moment, I'm just, I'm just finding my feet a little bit in this journalistic world. And hopefully, uh, in the future, you'll be able to hear me on, on many more platforms. And hopefully, being new days can have many more conversations to come on here. Dean, seriously, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I really, really do want to get you back and, and hopefully you can be on the sort of main show as well, our EPL main show as the season progresses. No, just from my own point of view, all our usual shows and pods are back up again and starting to run. Um, as I say, we've got a new podcast coming later today, um, a scouting podcast, which I would urge you to, 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 to give a bit of a listen to because I'm expecting it to be a, a very, very good pod indeed. Some areas that uh, we have never covered on WFI and looking very much looking forward to getting into them i'll say we've got the mexican pod out there this week and just thank you again to dean thank you to the listener and until the next time it's goodbye